Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Welcome back to another episode of Knit a Spell, Jim. Knit a Spell. I'm so glad to be here, Katie. Woohoo! So for this episode, Jim, I thought maybe we would discuss hands. See me oh, with them hands. The hands. The hands. Yes. yes. As well, a we magical talked... person and a maker, they're yeah, um, we ta- essential. We talked about hands last time, right? Yep. We talked a little bit about hands. Um, I had asked you specifically why palms are what we read. Like, would a foot be as uh, informal or informal, informational? Um, uh, and you said no. Hands specifically are the most de- dexterous part of your body. Um, and so it can emote the most. Um, as a person who also talks with their hands a lot, which anyone watching our YouTube video will see, um, <laughs> I really relate with that, uh, which is why I wanted to finally get a palm reading with you. Oh, right. So I uh, read your palms this mm-hmm. week, and that was cool. So are you saying that if I tie your hands behind your back, you won't be able to speak? It'll be oh much harder. Gosh. I would wiggle everywhere. I would <laughs> not be able to handle it. <laughs> right well you i mean this is the origin also i think a couple episodes ago we talked about why you i think our first episode we talked about why you reached out to me because you're fascinated with hands anyway right that's right they are like i said crucial for pretty much everything so right when we're making we're definitely using our hands whatever that is right Mm -hmm. So yeah, you you got your palms read. So you got a, a palm reading from me. Yes. Um, uh, I want to know. Mm-hmm. So I know you have questions, but I'm going to jump in. <laughs> what was inspiring? So since that palm reading, think back. Mm-hmm. What is sticking with you? What is inspiring to you? What surprised you? I guess. Um, I I really enjoyed the experience. I'll just say that first. Um, it. It's crazy how detailed you found things, um, especially, well, first of all, I didn't realize like your hands could be uh, asymmetrical. So that was huge. And that one is like your personal life and one is your outward life. Um, So just having that information told to me was really eye-opening. And then the detail within was like crazy. Um, So in particular, Some things that really stood out to me were um, the Venus girdle and then uh, the asterisk under my um, middle finger. Mm -hmm. So both signs that I looked up later (laughs) and found some some interesting uh, explanations. (laughs) Right. And uh, I just kind of was thinking a lot of these were misfortune sort of things, bad indications uh inauspicious if you will and i was just wondering um what your thinking on that was the whole like idea of misfortune reading right so this is something that happens a lot is um first of all i'm glad you were inspired by those two things the girdle of venus is uh not it's less common of a 
of a, of a line that occurs on people's hands. Mm-hmm. And if you're curious about what the girdle of Venus is, the best place to look is probably my Instagram, <laughs> Divine Hand Gym. I'm not not necessarily because I'm plugging myself, but because I have a particular way of speaking about it on my post um, mm. that I think is really helpful for people. The asterisk um, underneath your middle finger, which is the finger of uh, Saturn, mm. is significant. Um, and I'm associating that with the same way that astrologers associate the aspect of a sextile, which is when mm. something is one sixth of the way around the circle from each other, and they form that sort of angle, that 30, 30 degree angle, which is seen mm. as very, very auspicious and very, very positive. So when you have a six pointed star on your hand, I, I see that as a very, very positive and auspicious marking under the energy of for you Saturn, which is around rules, boundaries, and limits, and that mm. you're able to bring those to bear. So that that is those are the two things. Like the also the girdle of Venus is traditionally seen as very empathic, very mm. uh, emotionally sensitive. So when clients like you go and look those things up to sort <laughs> of like supposedly independently verify or just to discover or to learn more because they're inspired and fascinated. And then they're confronted with negative interpretations of those lines Mm -hmm. that can put a big question mark above one's head, right? Yes. So this gets to uh, my whole mission and reason for pursuing palmistry as a big thing. I am here to save palmistry from the death grip of misfortune tellers. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) We talk about fortune telling, but I'm talking about misfortune telling. Mm. And that's where there's a particular person that's really bent on the negative aspects in the hand. And there are everything. So let's just start out with this. Nothing in your hands, nothing in a palm reading. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. Some palm readers will associate negative things with your hands. That's just the way that they read. Hmm. The way that the divine hand method works is there is no aspect in your hand that is inherently negative. Great. There's also no aspect that's inherently 100% positive, right? Mm -hmm. Everything on your hands is like a tool or tools in the toolbox. If you have a hammer, for instance, not that that's a line, but let's say you have a toolbox and there's a hammer in it. Sure. You can use that hammer to bash somebody over the head as much as you can use it to build a house, mm, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really, and and who would ever talk about, no one even talks about a hammer being a negative thing. Everyone is talking about like, oh yeah, I have a hammer. It's a really mm. useful tool, right? Yep. I can pull nails out. I can pound nails in. I can, some hammers are called mallets and they're used for smashing things or, you know, all kinds of reasons you would use a hammer. Well, that's mm-hmm. very similar. You can use the girdle of Venus to be overly sensitive and collapse oh. under pressure and be weak in this sort of very patriarchal, by the way, and misogynistic mm. viewpoint of Venus. Venus is a hugely powerful goddess. She, sure. seeing Venus in her true form, burns people to a crisp. There are many myths about Aphrodite, oh. like saving people from the vision of her true form and turning them into flowers or birds or whatever. So, yeah. So Aphrodite slash Venus is one of the most powerful deities because it's the power of love, right? 
So with the girdle of Venus, if you're reading things that say these people tend to be weak-minded, they tend to have a very sensitive heart, they tend to be overly emotional, overly sensitive, mm -hmm. those types of things I suspect is what you read. I haven't, is that what you read? Yeah, it was very, um, yeah, you, you're going to have like a hard time dealing with everything because you feel everything. <laughs> yes, yes. So what that is trying to do, let's just say that is trying to be helpful. So mm. that website is trying to be helpful because they know how our world is. Right. I don't know if you've noticed, but our modern society is not friendly to people who have emotions. Right? That is true. We don't validate emotions. We don't allow for emotions to be freely expressed or mm -hmm. emotions as a form of healing our bodies. Um, we don't allow that to function, right? Yeah. So... In a way, they're right. In modern society, you could have a hard time because emotions are not safe or allowed to be expressed. Hmm. That's the that's their. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're they're looking out for you, right? Sure, that's a nice way of looking at it. But I say the way to look out for you is to give you its superpower. Mm -hmm. That might be true if you're if you're approaching the girdle of Venus, which is an arc that goes from between your first and second finger. And it goes around to your pinky and your ring finger. It's a little arc at the top of your palm. If you have that, the superpower, you could be weak and, eh, I can't do anything. I have the girdle of Venus. You could also say, watch out. I have the girdle of Venus. That's right. And I'll I'm going to use up. it. Yeah, I'm going to use it um, for its positive superpower, which is, I sense your emotions. I know what mm. you're feeling. You might be in denial about how you're feeling, but I can sense it. I know more than you. Yes. And that empowerment allows you to own your experience rather mm -hmm. than letting the experience own you. Yes. Right? Yeah. What if you walk into a room and you sense the nasty vibe and you own it? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I sense this vibe and I know how to surf it That's rather right. than... Eh, run away, right? Yep. Or taking These are... it in and becoming no. it yourself. Yeah. Also, I, I think Jim might have a migraine, mm. right? Because I am I have the girdle of Venus and I can sense that empathically. Yep. My superpower is that means I'm not taking on his migraine because I sense he has it. And I'm like, I'm going to send healing to you and love to you because you have a migraine and I'm yeah. not going to receive that migraine myself. Mm. Yeah, that's a. It's all about finding the balance. And I mean, looking on the bright side in a way or at least shifting it's transforming your perspective and shifting the 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 way that you interact with that energy mm-hmm yeah you go from poor me to okay um what do we do what do we do now yeah yeah from poor me to yay me yeah yeah and <laughs> oh man I know it's not easy to do but I have some like family members and stuff who are very poor me type of people and Yes. They live poor me type of lifestyles. So that's right. And there's a there is a uh, a little con going on, a little mm. racket running when people have um, this little con game of poor me. Mm. And this is happens in magic. So I'm curious if this happens in the making world yeah. where, oh, Mercury is retrograde. I couldn't possibly, right? Or uh, I have a stellium in my whatever house in this particular sign and it's mm. everything is in its worst placement or yep. my 
my Mercury is square, my moon and whatever, right? I mean, people can come up with a bazillion different reasons why I, I can't even, right? Sure, yep. And so I always want to encourage people to say, oh, well, how can you, right? Mm-hmm. How does that square, how does Mercury square your moon actually provide some structure, a foundation mm-hmm. to build on? People say that's a tough aspect. I say, yeah, you want a tough aspect to stand on. You don't want it to wear down. Yes. Like put that, put that, uh, un- uh, that unconscious and imaginative communication uh, uh, aspect to work for you mm-hmm. by standing on it, by having it be your firmament, right? Rather than having it be your block. Yes. It's a fear reaction, right? Got to push is. through. And I yeah. think it's also, so what happens is the racket is I don't have to be responsible. Mm-hmm. I don't, whenever I do this, whenever I'm in victim mode, yes. I don't have to be responsible mm-hmm. for what's happening in my life because, yep. oh my gosh, Poor me, something happened. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how that works in making. Does that show up in the knitting slash crocheting slash making world? Do you see that? Yes. So I actually thought uh, right when you were saying that, like, oh, yeah, I back in the day working at a knitting store, you know, folks would come in with errors in their knitting or something that they, they you know, got a little off track. Um, and instead of trying to figure it out themselves, um, they just want you to do it, which is fine because you can't always figure it out yourself. I get it. Sometimes you need help. Um, but the people who would straight out refuse to, uh, accept why I was like telling them what was wrong and how to fix it. And in the future, this is how you can recognize it and fix it for yourself. And they just don't, they don't want the responsibility. So it's, it's exactly what you're saying. Like it's a shirk of responsibility so that you don't have to, oh yeah, it was my fault. Like, you know, nobody wants to admit fault because much like, you know, our talk of emotions, it's if you're not perfect, right. well, then we're going to judge you. But, you know, I, it's, especially with knitting, it's a thing you're learning. So you need to make the mistakes. There's no perfection. So I, so I'm, I bring in my shawl mm-hmm. and the knitting needle still, st- still threaded on the circular knitting needles. Mm-hmm. And I just dump it on the counter and say, Katie, your pattern didn't work. Oh yeah, that would happen sometimes too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I love that because this is where I think one of the most important things and connections between magic and making Mm -hmm. is imagination. Yeah. And imagination and learning. We, We are most powerful when we take on our human, natural human ability and natural human drive Mm. around curiosity and around learning, right? I'm curious, how did this go so wrong? Why is it that the end, like this whole thing is twisted and like it's on the bias, it's weird and it doesn't wrap around me. And oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, like none of the things like lined up. Yeah. I'm And instead of saying what, what happens, I think is, I'm a failure or I have failed or I'm going to, I'm judging myself Mm -hmm. because knitting is hard and I have to learn something. And instead of saying, Ooh, this is so fascinating. I wonder what I did at the very beginning. Yeah. Did I like, like count weird or did I knit when I should have purled or whatever? I I don't knit yet. So I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, one could start off. Could have fooled me. Um, (laughs) I am trying to fool you. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's it's about having a certain amount of grace, I think, in finding the mistakes. Now, I I mean, even me, I used to take that kind of stuff very personally. I'm like a lot of Virgo, so perfectionism is like very ingrained in me. Um, and that's been something I've really been working on over the years to let go of a little bit and to enjoy the process more because I was really not enjoying things because I was aiming for an unrealistic perfection. And here's the thing about perfection, Jim, your idea of perfection and my idea of perfection, different. So it's not even a real thing. Right. How can you gauge that? Yeah. So, you uh, know, as long I, as you're happy with it. Yeah. Have I told you about my boy cozy? Yes. Okay. So if, if the people listening don't know, mm-hmm. um, my boyfriend made me an incredible uh, what would you call it? A poncho? Uh, it's kind of like a wrap, right? It's a wrap. It goes down mm-hmm. below my waist mm-hmm. um, yeah, kind of from poncho. my shoulders. It yeah. has a hood that has a mm-hmm. long pointed, you know, end. It's green and purple. It's, it's beautiful. absolutely amazing. It, he, it was hand spun from roving. Mm-hmm. It was hand dyed. It was knitted. Oh, and it was woven, it was spun and plied and dyed and knitted wow. Wow. over a period of two years, right? Ooh. This piece is also, what is so great about him is that he's like, yeah, there's a bunch of mistakes in there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Meh. Right? Yeah. I can't tell. I mean. Exactly. It is absolutely stunning. Every time I wear this thing in public, mm-hmm. I get comments. I can't I can't walk down the street because it's like all the old ladies are like, whoa, did wow, look at that. They're so mm-hmm. it's so awesome, right? Oh, if I'm at that. festival, I'm wearing it. So it's absolutely a piece that represents love. It represents mm-hmm. um just in it's green and purple, like two gorgeous colors sort of modeled together and all these different, you know, it's very, it's fab, it's a fabulous piece, right? And that's where the perfection, it is perfect. Cause I kind of love the go. karma of the piece. Yes. How it sort of has its own existence and it's not, would it be featured in a knitting magazine as a perfect example of maybe in a maybe in some that are more granola, right? The one from know. Eugene or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I I love that it that it's perfection is seen not from the person who made it, but from the recipient of the item. Yes. Perhaps? Yeah. Well, I wish. Hmm. I wish. That is fantastic to say. I'd never thought about it before, hmm. but I do wish that w- that the perfection would be in the eye of the recipient. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I see that that piece as perfect because mm-hmm. I love the. I don't even know where the errors are. I can't identify them. Right. Yeah. I'll have to bring it over to you, and we'll we'll do some. <laughs> yeah, I'll, um, I'll point them out. <laughs> forensics. We'll do some knitting forensics. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's perfect the way it is, right? When my husband Richard knits uh, me a pair of slippers, mm-hmm. they're perfect. I mm-hmm. love them, right? Yep. And yeah, it's in the eye of the recipient. Because you know what sucks? Is when I give you a gift and then as the gift and you love it. And as mm-hmm. a gift giver, I say, well, it's not perfect. You know, I screwed up all over the place. 
you know, you shouldn't yes. like it too much because it's really not representative of the perfect. How does yeah. that, how do you feel about the gift I just gave you? Right. Yeah. You obviously don't feel good about it. And now you're underselling it to your friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's like people who would go on like um, any competition show and then be like, well, I know I didn't do this right. I I know I didn't do this right. No, no, no. Don't do that. No. Like you got to talk yourself up. Like, yeah, I did the best (sighs) I can. I love it. I love what I made. I had a great time and it came out wonderful. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I think about magic, I think there's also something like that. We, different people practice in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And there can be very formal ways of practicing uh, ceremony and having like the ceremonial aspects of of magical practice. There Mm -hmm. can also be the like fly by the seat of your pants, trust your intuition, go with what's happening right now type Mm -hmm. of magic. And blending those together can be really, really powerful, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say... I want to create, you know, a, um, I have a blockbuster candle, right? And I want to use this blockbuster spell to, uh, to disappear my writer's block, Hmm. right? As I'm writing my book. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I can get really consternated and say, I have to start that on a Tuesday and I have to start it in the hour of Mars. And mm. I want to make sure that I have seven drops of the specific oil. And I have to find eucalyptus leaves and, and write my petition on eucalyptus leaves that I then put underneath this candle. And where the heck are eucalyptus <laughs> growing in Seattle also? And <laughs> I want to find this other like esoteric and rare thing and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, right? Suddenly my blockbuster candle becomes a block itself, right? There you go. And that can have ceremonial significance, but there's also something to say, all right, well, let's say today is Wednesday, Mm -hmm. right? What do I do on a Wednesday if today's the day that I want to light that candle? Yeah. So these are the things that I think are really helpful. And so I think about that, like you have a bunch, if you're a knitter, you have a bunch of yarn. I don't know if they know. Do do (laughs) knitters know that they have a lot of yarn left over and that it just sits around and gathers in corners. Um, first of all, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> am I, is this too, am I calling you out too much? Um, it's called a yarn stash. Uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful collection of soft and beautiful things. And why would you ever get rid of them? They're so meaningful. There are small magical talismans, you know? <laughs> That three feet I have left of that merino wool <laughs> yarn, I will never get rid of. I mean, I might use it to like put a sleeve on hold or something for waste yarn at some point. I, could, <laughs> I, I might use a scrap at some point in 10 years from now. I could use it. How could you call it a scrap? <laughs> it's a treasured, valuable item. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know what? You're probably right. Okay. So what would it be like to use what you have? Right. Mm-hmm. That's another sort of thing is like, what if you like tied together multiple different yarns of Mm -hmm. like three foot and nine foot and 50 foot length and just started doing something cool with that like that'd be fascinating so actually it's funny that you mentioned that because in the knitting world a magic ball um is something that exists in two different ways at least as far as i can immediately think of so um the first of which uh in German, Zababall is magic ball. So it's a brand of yarn and it's this like multicolored yarn. It's beautiful. Knitters will probably know what it is. Um, and then 
magic ball in general is also used as a term for people who tie all their remnants together into one big ball of yarn that's like random lengths and whatever colors to make like a shawl or whatever so that even if they're different gauges you know it's it's almost like the magic of every little project you did with that yarn now in a new project so it's oh, like that double cool. duty that sounds so cool i mm. am going to google magic yarn shawls and just see what some of them look like Ooh, oh my yeah. gosh oh and um when i worked at scassell just a little little side note um we also had a yarn called abracadabra and it was um, activated when you would go in the sun. So they were all white. And then we had them um, that would go from white to pink, white to purple, white to blue, and white to yellow. And that was a lot of fun, too. Was it permanent or would it go back again? Nah, I'd go back again. But we had a lot That's, of fun with oh, it. Yeah. I don't know if you were alive in the 80s. Were you alive in the 80s? <laughs> Briefly. Maybe. <laughs> um, we had hyper colors. Yeah. And those were t-shirts you wear that change color as they touch your body from the warmth. Yes. I imagine those were like very flattering. <laughs> two years. Yeah. Okay. So you, so this whole thing about like we getting back to hands and the readings, we yes. went on a little tangent there, which is super fun. <laughs> um, so misfortune and using what you have and looking at what you have and being creative mm -hmm. in the way that you, that a person can use what is there rather than lament what is missing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in hand. So as I am attempting to save palmistry from misfortune telling, I'm mm -hmm. also offering people the, the what they can replace their a negative sort of interpretation with. Now, mm, all right. of these positive interpretations are not Pollyanna. It's mm -hmm. not toxic positivity. It's actually looking at the origins of where these things come from mm -hmm. and offering the highest and best, like what, how you could use it. Right. So to me, it would be like someone coming in saying, I have this murder weapon of this that I want to get rid of. And I'm like, you have a hammer. Let me mm -hmm. show you how to use it for something other than murder. Ah, there you go. Yeah. So, so, and then it can, really can be used that way. So what's interesting is this comes from an interesting place. So I kind of want to like talk about, and this would be interesting to see if there's any connection here. Hmm. So palmistry originated in India mm -hmm. from the best of our knowledge, right? Palmistry exists in many other cultures, but most of what we see in the West, we can trace back to India and it was it migrated from ancient India. I mean, there's not, we don't know for sure. I will just say that, sure. but it, from what we can tell, it was migrated across the Middle East and Near East and Eastern Europe along the Danube into Europe being mostly brought, we believe by the Romani people and the Romani people as, and this is over a period of hundreds and hundreds, you know, centuries, right? As palmistry moved away from Hinduism, where it sort of was developed, hmm. it lost the ability to indicate, to be an indicator of what pujas and what remedies one would need to employ to mitigate the negative thing in the hand, right? Mm, okay. So people use, if you talk to, a, if you have a Vedic astrology reading or a Vedic palm reading, they will tell you, here are all the problems and here are all the pujas 
you can do. So if you have a problem with poverty and with a block to your poverty in your astrology or in your hands, you may be given a puja for Lakshmi. And so this is a, a puja is a, a ritualistic prayer or offerings that you offer to a particular Hindu deity in order to curry favor and to transmute that negative aspect, right? To bring that in. Mm -hmm. These work together. The Vedic systems of astrology and palmistry work together with the Hindu belief system to offer those remedies, right? Hmm, yeah. Well, what's funny is we have this sort of Indian, old, traditional palmistry is kind of this Indian-based interpretations of the lines and the planetary associations and all the things without having the religion or the practice hmm. of remedies. Yeah. And so what you end up with are books that say, if you have this line, you'll just have poverty. Hmm. And then they move on. Like that's a whole paragraph in some of the books I have. Uh. Instead of saying, okay, what is this line really representing? What is underneath the meaning mm. of that line? Why it's why it's the line positioned here, how it's connected to that, what it's related to in the hand. And then understanding, like in modern under in modern in our modern world, mm. how do we use mystical and magical um information to understand that and to reinterpret it? So that's kind mm. of a really technical kind of went yeah. off a little bit, but it's a it's really cool to be able to transform a traditional magical or or mystical or metaphysical practice, but I want to keep true to metaphysical or or magical mm. principles. Yeah. But still offer something that is uh transformed. Pardon the interruption, but here's a special message from well, us. Hey, Jim, let's talk about a palm reading for a sec. Oh, yeah, my favorite topic. So I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of getting a palm reading. Uh, but my palm reading with you was awesome and it actually helped with a lot of preconceived notions that I had of the craft before now. Oh, you had preconceived notions about palmistry? What were yeah. they? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm pretty literal. So I thought having a short lifeline might mean you have a short life. Right. And that a star on your palm is bad. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Both of those are common. You know, a short lifeline does not mean a short life. It actually means a life of uh, connection with the divine and learning and creating type of life. And a star in your palm is a sign of spiritual gift. Those are two things that are dispelled right away. I know there's a lot of things on the palm that people yeah. think are good or bad, right? There's nothing inherently negative in your palm. You can use all the tools, all the markings. They are associated with your strengths, your personality, and things you can use in your life. Absolutely. I really love that modern take on palmistry. And it actually really resonated in my reading. I think everyone would enjoy a reading from you. And dear listener, if you too would like a fantastic experience that offers insight, direction, and clarity, I highly suggest booking a session with my dear friend, James Divine. And you can find more information at thedivinedhand.com. Hey, Magical Makers. Are you looking for a fun summertime project? Try my No Sweat Mason Cozies, now available in two different sizes. You can save 50% on this pattern through July 31st by using the code NITASPELL, that's all one word, on Ravelry at checkout. These beverage covers not only keep your hands dry, they're also a fun way to identify whose drink belongs to who. Cheers! Thanks for listening. Let's jump back into our episode. 
gosh, it's it's like they left out the prescription part or like yep. the the lesson. Right. So it's they're like, just yep, telling you're you. sick. Yep. Looks Bye. like you got a cold. Yep. <laughs> that sucks. Looks Yeah. Without well, your heart line like, looks great. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> huh. Okay. Very interesting. All right. So you're working to um, make it more positive in your aspect. Um, have you thought about like doing a prescription type of thing? I mean, when you read my palms, you were very like, you know, here's here's how you can use this energy. Is that something you plan to put out there for people in more than like Instagram posts in the future? So I do that in reading, certainly when people have a reading from me. Mm -hmm. um, and I teach palmistry. In fact, I'm currently teaching um, a great big like palmistry masterclass, right? Mm. That's in, in process now. Um, and if you've been following me over the past month, you've seen it and, you know, you've gotten all that. And there's mm -hmm. uh, some really great people taking that class right now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really cool. And that's a f my 15 week sort of certificate course. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, I am working on my book. And so that's going to have a lot of those, um, a lot of like an expansion of what I just talked about in my book. Great. So people can really look at that. So, but a book takes a couple of years to come out. So that will be a ways. Yeah. It'll be here before you know it. <laughs> before you know it. Two short years. Wait. Yeah, I know. We'll be talking about it here. I can't wait. Well, that's so great. I, and it's not just your palm that I'm reading, mm -hmm. right? Didn't I also read your hand gesture? Do you remember oh, anything yeah. from that? Yeah, I remember having uh, a strong, straight uh, first finger, index finger, <laughs> pointer finger. Right. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and how my, I think, pinkies kind of like splayed out a little bit yeah. from everyone. Right. Your pinkies are, are held further out from your hand than mm -hmm. the other fingers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So hand gesture, like unconscious hand gesture tells, actually, it tells everyone your unconscious, your hidden motivations, your mm. hidden desires, your kind of your thinking, like where are you at? So you like, as a politician is waving, they may be making an interesting gesture with like something. And mm. I can read into like, what's up with them right now, right? Oh, interesting. As they're reaching, you know, as they're using their hands, I'm always watching. Um, at Biden's inauguration, there was an amazing poet, the mm. youth poet laureate, Amanda Gorman. Yep. And she used her hands in amazing ways, almost like a dancer. Ooh. And uh, you know how many DMs I got, how many messages I got <laughs> asking people like, what was she doing with her hands, Jim? Right. Ooh. So I have a little post about that on my Instagram yep. from way back. Um, so, yeah, we can read hand gesture and it's super cool to do that. Right. Hmm. You like you just said, I, I talk with my hands, you know, yes. that just you are gesticulating with your hands and hands communicate all those things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's fascinating to me. It really is subconscious too, because I I never realized how much I talk with my hands until about five years ago when I was training for this job at REI that I worked at briefly. And one of the other like coworkers of mine was doing an impression of me and was just flailing their arms around like Kermit the Frog. And I was like, oh no, oh, I do do that. Like <laughs> <laughs> I never realized before that moment how much of a Kermit I am, but I sure am. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> so yeah, um, so you'll always know how I'm feeling, Jim. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Well, and I can tell people who are listening a little tip. So let's, shall we do one? Please. Should I teach you one? Yeah. The thumb. So let's mm. talk about your thumbs, right? Okay. The position of your thumb. First of all, what does the thumb represent? So in, in modern society, if you want to reach for your water glass mm. and lift it, mm. you are going, if you have thumbs, you're going to use your thumb to hold your glass, mm -hmm. right? The thumb metaphysically is two planets. It's Venus and Mars, desire and will, right? Ooh. If you want to reach for that water glass and drink out of it, you have a desire for a thirst for the water and you have the will the mars mm. to actually like take action and to, you have the will to that goes along with it will is not necessarily action it's the, sure it's another form of desire right mm -hmm. so you have the love and the war the will and the desire and together mm. those create action and so you reach for the glass of water bring it to your lips and are satiated right wow. and so this is the, the power of the thumb and what's so weird to me and totally mind-blowing is the metaphysical association of the fingers matches how we use them in in in, in our lives that's like <laughs> crazy right <laughs> so here's what this means okay when you're feeling when you're procrastinating when you're feeling like, I don't have energy, I need to do this thing, I keep avoiding it, right? Mm. I'm not, I'm feeling low energy, I'm just feeling lazy, mm. right? First, be in that place and know that it's probably your own body's wisdom saying, mm. chill out. But yep. if you have your true will, which is your your desire to say, no, I really do want to get up. I really do want to go for that walk. I really do mm. need to take pancakes, your dog for a walk. That's right. All you have to do is hold your thumbs open mm. at a 90 degree angle from your hands. Now, people who are busy and always doing stuff won't have this issue. But if you're <laughs> feeling that way, hold your thumbs open. Mm. And after just a few minutes, three minutes is a very long time to do that. Mm. You will get antsy. It sends biofeedback to your brain to activate, like do stuff. What? And I call this the modern mudras. Yeah. Because your hand gestures. So mudras are from India and from the near and south. Uh, I'm sorry, South Asian and East Asian uh, spiritual and and culture spirit. Mm. Sp spiritual practice and culture, they have these things called mudras, which are hand gestures that uh, create a certain energetic vibration mm. and, a, and a icon. they're also a way to identify different types of gods. Mm. So those exist in that culture. We can use them in modern times to say, I know the thumb is used to do things, to take mm. action. I know it's associated with Venus and Mars. If I close, if I'm overworking, I can close my thumb to relax and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. If I'm underworking and need to do stuff, I can open my thumb and get active. And mm. we start to be able to create and craft our own mudras based on our own culture, based on this, the way we're working in modern times. And it is completely magical. And it reminds me of like, mm. there's a show called The Magicians, 
where oh, they yeah. use hand gesture to to you know do magic or mm-hmm. i think doesn't sabrina use her finger or something yep. the little point right? yep. yeah the point the mm-hmm. jupiter right yeah so these it's there and it's there's a long history of it and so uh, my method has updated it but i think that all those things i think that not just to talk about me but mudras and the whole idea around mudras and studying them and understanding them is fascinating i mean i'm like just thinking about how that even relates to knitting and how you hold like the needles and the yarn and like i'm thinking about how i would hold my needles and whatnot and what i'm doing like with my thumb per per se and i'm noticing like now i'm thinking about it those are the the fingers, the thumbs, are the ones that I use to keep the stitches on or like scoot them up. So they really are like the action fingers of like all of them in knitting. Yes. Even though the others are doing things, I would say for me at least, those are my most active fingers. Right. And so you and your style of knitting is what style of knitting do you do? So I do continental. So that's the one where you would hold the yarn in your left hand. um, And then it's sort of more of a picking motion. So it's a little bit less motion. Whereas um, the English style, you hold it with your right hand, uh, the yarn. And then you oftentimes will have to actually let go of that right needle in order to wrap the yarn around and then grab it again. So the other way you don't ever um, let go whereas the English style you do. so Got it, got it. And which do you think is more common? Do you think more people do English or continental? Um, I think at least like in the U.S. I'm not sure if it's different like internationally, but um, within the U.S., I still believe English style is most prominent. So the one where you're going to let go of the needle and wrap it with your right hand. Um, but I, and that's how I learned. That's how I teach a lot of people how to learn. I'm not sure why that typically is easier for people to learn. Um, If people learn how to crochet first, they actually have an easier time with the um, continental method. And I think that maybe is like a crochet technique. Um, Mm. But yeah, so it's, it's a speed thing, but it's a preference thing. And it's just like what you learn. It's not everybody has the ability to to change halfway through like me. Right. (laughs) It's interesting to look at, um, the way that people hold their hands and what fingers are really being used in knitting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I know that you have some videos on the YouTube channel, on the Light from Lantern YouTube channel, which is also where people can watch, you know, our video. Right. Um, there are like, I think I started watching one of them, which was how to finish the end of the mm. yep. river. Like maybe do is the right. Oh, uh, was it like a Pico edging perhaps? Yeah, it was some kind of edging mm-hmm. that you did on some kind of something. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> yeah. Actually, that edging it. is on a lot of some things. So. <laughs> yeah. So you can like how to do some edging, right? And yeah. I was trying to understand like what you were doing with your hands. I think I was more in- interested in the way the yarn and the needle were interacting. And I miss like, oh, Jim, you're supposed to be looking at the hand position. <laughs> but you have a really good insight into the fact that you were using your thumbs you are mm. using your thumbs primarily when you're knitting yeah. and that the thumb is the doer and you're putting a lot of Venus and Mars energy into your work. Mm-hmm. And that's something very interesting to ponder, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe even could inspire a pattern. Absolutely. Of, you know, the, uh, the pattern of love and like the two 
big oh. forces in the world of love and war, right? Yeah. Kind Ooh, of like yeah. how you have a sun and moon, you know, shawl that I think is not out yet. Did I? Not quite. But, or uh, maybe it is out. I don't know. You never know. Well, if you're I have watching, a sneak peek. Yeah. <laughs> you might have seen the sneak peek if you're watching the YouTube. That's right. You get a little peek. Yeah. So we can we can use our hands to make magic. We can use our hands to create a vibe. And um, you, the listener, can, even with that one, with your thumbs, right? Think mm -hmm. about, like, crafting that. And we can do it with all of those. So, yeah, it's really fun. Gosh, that's incredible. So, Katie, how yes. does what we're talking about today shift your thinking or inspire you in the realm of making? I mean, you talked a little bit about it, but do you think you would do... Could you imagine doing something differently as you knit, knowing what you know now? Yeah. Um, you know, I I really like the um the whole idea of, you know, the open thumb, the closed. It it's a great metaphor really for knitting. Um you don't always feel like doing it. We don't have to do it, but when we do, it's joyful and it brings us back. Um, so yeah, it's really grounding. Um, especially since we use our hands for everything. So yeah. the more you're cognizant of that, the more you can get the balance in your life, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would imagine that knitting with a, I mean, I'm certain that people have their own most efficient hand gesture in order to knit, right? Everyone is going to hold the needle a certain way, mm -hmm. kind of like how people hold a pencil. Like when, when we're doing handwriting or calligraphy, everyone holds their pencil slightly differently. In fact, I just saw related to this in the New York Times, just an article about how mm -hmm. golf pros hold the club, oh, right? Yeah. And I was taught a certain way by, you know, a master on how to hold a golf club once. I don't mm -hmm. golf, but that one time. Yep. Um, but it was fascinating to look at how the hands are involved in holding a club. Oh, and yeah. if you cross your thumbs or if you don't cross your thumbs, one person was holding their first two fingers, their index and their middle finger down on the club hmm. and the other hand up top. And it was hmm. like, wow, what could those mean? Those, yeah. right? So if you could knit even a row or mm -hmm. just a portion of the piece that you're knitting with a mm -hmm. particular, or, or crocheting or weaving or whatever and mm -hmm. you could hold a mudra or hold a hand position mm -hmm. with intention that would be a fascinating hopefully you won't yeah. get a cramp changing your hand gesture for that but i think that would be cool yeah i'll have to look into some maybe we'll um or if you research pull, on some mudras that would be easy enough right. to still work with if you pull like let's say you're blocking the piece mm -hmm. And you pull one of the loops instead of like what you would normally do, like just pinching it with your first and second finger, mm. you choose, I mean, your, your index finger and your thumb, maybe you're choosing, I'm going to grip mm. it with my middle finger because I really want to bring in some Saturn energy, or I'm going to grip it with my ring finger because this is about self-esteem and, and beauty, right? Oh, there so there's a, there was some interesting sort of like ways that you could think about like touching or interacting with it as you're making. Hmm, yeah. Or even like each session of knitting you could do like a little like five minute two minute whatever like beforehand and then afterwards to sort of like close it out you know like an intent right. for the session even if it's different every time yeah i like that this was a lot of fun to talk about i'm really glad we talked about hands and went off on our handy 
Handy tangents. Handy tangents. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think we're going to probably keep finding out how much more crossover there is with hands as we go. So mm-hmm. I'm excited. And and magic. I mean, this is so much fun. There's just a ton of, even mm-hmm. from this episode, I'm thinking about all the different ways in which we can talk about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, magic and making. And that's what this is all about. I'm very excited. So. Me too. Gosh, I can't wait to go and design some magical mitts after this. Oh, very inspired. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, Jim. Until next time. So long, Katie. See you later. This episode is a wrap. If you enjoyed what you heard, go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. And don't forget, you can see full video episodes of Knit a Spell on Light from Lantern's YouTube channel.